Hello, everyone. This is Rob Fredette with the Podcast HodgePod, and episode 49 is here. And my guest on this episode is Jack Bowman from London, England. He is a director of audio podcast dramas and many more things which he'll talk about. But he's on HodgePod to talk about London After Midnight, a audio podcast drama which he directed. And here is a little snippet of it in a trailer for London After Midnight. Something has happened to Harry. Miss Lucy, I'm so sorry. For God's sake, Fernsby. He's dead, isn't he? Audio Marvels, Pocket Universe Productions, and Monkey Basket Entertainment present... Williams, first thing tomorrow morning, I want you to call Scotland Yard. The Lost Horror Classic. Lieutenants for the... Sorry, ma'am, the... Uh... You can say Balfour Place, Mr. Fernsby, it's all right. Based on the classic silent film by Waldemar Young and Todd Browning, and starring Lon Chaney. Looks like an undertaker. It's that damned beaver hat. I've never seen him without it. Art Malik in a full cast audio production of Lucy, this is Edward Bergman, Scotland Yard. London after midnight. You really don't feel it, do you? Feel what? The air of disquiet. Like we're being watched. Available Halloween 2023 as both an online digital audio event and as an exclusive vinyl release. You, you get out of here! Damn you! Please, try not to scream. Oh my God, what is that? That would appear to be his lady companion. <laughs> Flying around the Moonberg. One way or another, this comes to an end. Tonight. Visit www.audiomarvels.com for more information. And here is my interview with Jack Bowman. Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with HodgePod, and I have a great guest today, Jack Bowman. He is in England, and uh, he is six hours ahead, but he is graciously joining me on my podcast today. But he is a multi-award-winning online drama director, producer, and acclaimed podcast creative. Jack is also a nominee for the Best Drama and Fiction Producer for Audio Production Awards 2023 he also has vast experience in theater direction and venue management. So, Jack Bowman, first off, welcome to my podcast. And uh, I'm you. truly honored you're on. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to this because uh, I uh, just want to say I grew up as I'm a radio geek. I grew up a radio geek and I used to love listening to the 40s and 50s radio on air mm-hmm. uh, stories and acts and I listened to one a couple of weeks ago, and Jimmy Stewart was on one of them from the 1940s or 50s. So I'm really looking forward to this. So there is a podcast drama that's out right now called London After Midnight. So first of all, uh, it's recently come out. And then talk about your uh, your background as well, because I find that fascinating. Well, I'll start with my background, because I can do that the quickest, and we can get to the more interesting part. Um, So I started in audio. Back then, it wasn't even podcasting. It was about six or seven months before the iPod was invented or released, Mm -hmm. I should say, into the world. So a friend of mine just had an idea. I'd written a play that went on in a notable fringe venue in uh, North London. And she just came up to me and said, uh, hey, I've got this idea. Mario Ranaki Temple, could we just adapt your play and like put it on the internet as an online piece of radio? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So that's what we did. We we adapted that little piece. It was called Frozen. 
uh, it went out and she put out another piece and within a few weeks her server had melted down so because so many people were pulling down these two plays so we thought there was something there and we began expanding doing lots of little bits and pieces uh, starting to experiment with different forms of recording the ipod came along as well which kind of just gave us the market and after 10 years of that i ended up as a studio manager and producer at audible uk mm-hmm. handling their, their multicast audio dramas um that led to me doing uh two and a half years with a us indie company but based in the uk for them mm-hmm. called dagaz and that led me to end up at bbc studios as a podcast producer and a production consultant for them because it all all became very very new with them and the launch of bbc sounds so it's been a wild ride it was about 14 years of nobody caring uh then uh this great country called the united states came along and invented the podcast <laughs> just a yes. few years ago and um yeah everything's been pretty wild ever since be back and forth in the states india all over the uk you name it it's it's been a world ride so i've got i've got a lot to thank your country for well you're welcome you're welcome and uh (laughs) you know when you said 14 years podcasting you know i look back you go back 20 years it was just basically listening on your radio but now we can bring these things to our ear pods and walk and and things like that so it's it's evolved where the technology is just fascinating yeah and the old radio classic shows you know you listen to those those were a lot of work back then and i'm sure i know it's a lot of work for you now but when mm-hmm. i listen to some uh get ready for this podcast it was incredible the acting and the and the, the scripts and the the takes and things of that nature so one that you have out now london after midnight please talk mm-hmm. about that because this is uh this is recently came out did it not it is. It's in fact, it, it's you've caught me right at the cusp between uh, two big periods of release. So we released it as a digital only download on Bandcamp, and then yesterday uh, it was also picked up by a brand new audio drama app called Audioteria. So they'll also mm-hmm. be carrying it. And moving forward on Halloween itself, it'll be released across two different types of podcast network as well. So Fable and Folly will take an episodic version. And I'll give you the exclusive here because I owe you for being slightly late tonight. Uh, the second network will actually be a podcast streaming network called Apollo Plus. So that's that's your exclusive right there. Well, thank you very um, much. Um, we haven't announced that one yet, uh, but it's a done deal. It, it will go live on Apollo Plus as well as Fame and Folly as of Halloween. So you won't be able to get away from London After Midnight. And if you visit our site as well, uh, londonaftermidnight.co.uk, you can even buy physical CDs, vinyls. We're doing those on top of everything else. So um, it's quite an interesting one. It's a big swing at experimenting with different release windows rather than just like doing it as a podcast, mm-hmm. putting it on one platform and hoping for the best. Um, we've got a lot of partners who have listened to the project, believe in the project, or they, they know of my work or Lance's work or Kenton's work and are prepared to let us try something a little bit different with this one. Interesting. That's fascinating. Well, thank you for the exclusive. Uh, You're welcome. That's, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, so this, uh, production that you have put together london after midnight it was a a silent film in 1927 is that correct that is correct it is probably the great great 
grandfather of all vampire movies that you get today. So 1927, London After Midnight starred Lon Chaney, and it gave us the iconic man in the beaver hat. If you don't know London After Midnight, uh, you would know the iconography of the, the crazy man with the fangs and the very, very tall hat. And that iconography lives on in things like the Babadook and uh, Black Phone, which... As yeah. of yesterday, just got a sequel greenlit. Good for Carl Gill. He's a mate. Um, so London After Midnight, it was a smash hit at the time. 1927, a silent horror movie. Talkies were literally just around the corner. The jazz singer came out the same year. So it is considered the last great silent horror classic. And then five or six years later, the same production team remade it with a man called Bella Lugosi casting him in the oh, vampire yeah. role. Yeah. And that pro- that then led to him, you know, putting his stamp on what we now know as Dracula. So this film in terms of where it sits in the horror canon, incredibly important, but also incredibly missed because in 1965 MGM suffered a, tragic and devastating fire which destroyed a lot of silent classics including what people believe was the last remaining film print of london after midnight so nobody has seen anything other than a few stills and the odd reconstruction has been attempted in the last seven decades until now yes and that's what we're going to talk about so uh silent films were prevalent in the 20s you know back before sound came to film how did you come about to get it from silent film into the category now of like audio drama podcasting? Because uh, you would have to, I guess, develop a script. You would have to get a cast. And how did that all come about? Because uh, you have uh, Art Malik, who's a very, very awesome actor, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember him in True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that was good. And he's also in The Little Mermaid, I think, this year coming out in 2023. So We'll talk about that later, but um, sure. how did you get from that transition from silent film to getting to the final product of the audio? Well, it starts with it, it starts with my label, Audio Marvels, and what we do is we don't necessarily churn out quantity, which is the easiest way, right, um, to to get a footprint. We take big swings. We try and do things differently, and. We've been looking around for. I've, I've done a Halloween piece near enough. Uh, once a year for the last four years. Um, when I heard that London After Midnight had come into, uh, come into the public domain and was available, my first thought was, well, that'd be nice because now at the very least somebody could remake that. And then I thought about it and thought, could I remake it? And I went, no, I'm an audio producer. It'd be, it'd be madness to uh, try and make my first feature film <laughs> London After Midnight, um, set myself up for a fall. But I then sort of had a quick chat with Lance Roger Axe at Pocket Universe Productions, and I just sort of pinged him his idea, and I said, do you think we could turn that, a silent movie, into, you know, a very modern audio drama? And he loved the idea that we went and brought on uh, Kenton Hall, who's a writer um, we've, we've both worked with independently, and we both love Kenton. So we sort of had a conference call, and it's like, okay, this is this is it. We've got to give you the space and time to prove the idea could work. So I literally sat back very nervously for six weeks and let Kenton and Lance have a tag team system. They do a draft, pass it on mm-hmm. to Lance, Lance pass it back to Kenton, etc. Um And when the script, we had the original screenplay that still exists online. Uh, like I say, there's 46 odd stills, 
that are out there, which kind of helps set the mood and tone mm-hmm. in terms of the visualization, which is actually very important with audio. Visuals are more important than uh, people would have you believe. And I just trusted two writers to get on with it. So what we did have was a roadmap where we knew character A interacts with character B in that scene. Nothing may be said, but because it's a silent movie and the screenplay exists, we know their actions and actions often dictate how someone responds. You know, if I said one thing, you might react a certain way. Mm-hmm. If I do something, you're certainly going to respond. Action causes reaction. So we we had the roadmap, but what that allowed for quite brilliantly, and I hadn't anticipated they would do this quite so well for a first draft because the old adage is the first draft of anything is terrible. This wasn't. It was almost mostly finished. I was like, wow. And what they've brilliantly done is they've taken that roadmap of the original silent piece. But what it allowed for with creating the dialogue was actually to make it feel very modern and very contemporary at the same time. So this is as faithful as you're going to get to the original movie. We've made two artistic changes overall, but um, the feel of it will be very, very up-to-date, very, very modern because... It, it kind of allowed us to have the best of both worlds there. So there was a, had, had to be a bit of work done with uh, the heroine of the piece because a 1920s heroine is very different from a 2020s heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was a big one we were all very, very conscious of. And the other thing that had to happen to make this work was we had to reduce the cast size. So Kenton and Lance had to come up with clever ideas to um, basically compact it Wow. down a little bit more to make to make that uh, just financially viable for me to be able to hire the number of actors that we could afford. And then what was really lovely about the whole thing was when I first got the script, that first draft was it really evoked the kind of mood and feel of those surviving stills. I could sense the horror and the dread just bleeding through. So we worked on that. But I think I mentioned this a couple of times before, and it's worth repeating. We've got a Canadian producer in Kenton. We've got myself from London, British producer, and Lance, who's from, uh, he's based out in Washington State, out in Bellingham. Lance was the one who actually fought to keep this as British as possible. He was he's such an Anglophile. You know, he was the one always pushing to get the English Gothic tones in there, those little textures. Um and, you know, he knows he's British, which potentially, I don't know, the original movie may not have had that because it was actually a Hollywood movie made on a soundstage, you know, over in the US. And it was a silent movie, so no one had to do the accent, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. That is fascinating. So you had to come up with, you had came up with the script, so you had to come up with the cast. So you got Art Malik and uh, mm-hmm. Dan Starkey, and you had to get some other uh, folks to join, but uh, how was that uh, getting Art Malik on board there? Because uh, he's uh, he's quite an actor. I worked with him six years ago. He was a narrator of Murder on the Orient Express for Audible, and I, I think I've said this publicly. And you know, we had an actor we were told way way back in the, in the summer really wanted to do it, and we went okay. So we asked them and our agent just turned around and said, no, they don't. And still to this day, I don't know what the disconnect was. Then there was someone else who was, um, you know, their agent was actually circling the project for them and really wanted this actor mm-hmm. to do it. 
Uh, but they decided it wasn't for them. So we just started again. We, we'd had three months of sort of being messed around and I drew up a short list and I went, you know what? I really love art. He's good. He's fast. He's charming. You know, he's going to bring a good vibe to the day. Should we just ask him? So an email, like five emails went out on the day because we were six days away from recording. Arts agent was the first back and literally the response was, can you have a look at the script? And as I later found out, as he was heading out the door after recording with us, it's because he actually remembered having a really good time in Murder on the Orient Express. He remembered liking me. And apparently he's driving a lot of his agents nut, right, nuts right now because he just wants to sit in his loft and he wants to play with model trains because he's found this as a new hobby, right? <laughs> so he's t- he's turning down a lot of stuff. But it's, when he saw that I had asked, he was prepared to give the script a whirl. And that shows you how good the script was. Wow. Because I think I think it was only within an hour of him getting the script, the answer came back, yes. An hour? An My hour. Goodness. And that's not the, first, the fastest acceptance uh, we got, but I'll save that for a, a story about another actor. But that's, that is, that's incredible. So the production is, the, is really, really, uh, I guess, the, the blocking and tackling to get it completed. So mm. what, um, what, is, uh, what entails, because I worked in radio and I did production, not mm. to this effect, back years ago, but I do know um, like there are takes that have to be done. Are the actors in the same room or are they remotely or how does that work? And then when do you know you have that final piece and you get it done in one take or do you have, is it something you don't like or you just keep going until you like it? Well, it depends on the actor, but I've got to say we were very lucky. Like virtually everyone was a first choice, barring Dan Starkey, um, because we had a snafu um, halfway through. So we had two days to record, which meant we had to get down about 30 minutes a day, which is actually quite a comfortable pace to work at. Um, and for this one, I wanted to get back to having a studio environment. So I wanted everyone there. So I haven't been in a forecast multi studio setup, I think since early 2019. Mm-hmm. So it'd been a very, very long time and pandemic. Obviously we learned to work virtually, but yes. So we, we sort of uh, divide and conquer a little bit. So half the cast were coming on one day. The other half will come in on the next. However, what threw us for a loop was the fact that the original actor, Carl Sir James, couldn't make it on day one, which meant we suddenly had to move 10 of those minutes from day one to day two. And then as we were heading home, the actor basically then wasn't available to come in on the second day. So we lost mm-hmm. you know, a massive part of the cast, which is where the lovely Ab- Abby McLaughlin, who plays Miss Smithson, uh, suggested Dan Starkey step in. Mm-hmm. And basically she gave him a call um she gave me his number i rang him literally getting off the bus in north <laughs> london going hi dad uh we'd, we'd met him many many years before very very briefly um so he said send me the script i did and by the time i got through the front door he said i've read the first scene it's fine i'll take it so that was nice. the fastest acceptance nice. but from there it, it, it's just a case of playing uh you've got to really schedule this everything nothing was kind of recorded in sequence, everything was kind of blocked up. So, mm-hmm. for example, some actors came and did half days, so we'd be sort of compressed their scenes. Other actors, we could sort of spread out, but it might be, for example, around the blocking of those compressed actors, other actors had to work out a sequence. But where possible, we tried to keep the flow 
as straight as we could. And then obviously the pressure was on the second day because we were missing mm-hmm. an hour's worth of recording the day before. So I was going a little bit do lally from a lack of breaks wow. <laughs> on the second day. <laughs> but you just you just constantly play, playing speed chess, basically with all the moving parts. And I had a brilliant uh, associate producer in uh, Lisa Mick. She's worked with me at Moonbug as a production coordinator. So, you know, there was someone over my shoulder just keeping an eye like keeping an eye on those chess moves as well and kenta was co-directing with me it's the first time i've ever co-directed something officially mm-hmm. and he was in the booth so there was there was a good three-way relationship going on keeping an eye on you know who needed to be where and i thought i think the only time it went slightly wrong was i i, I let dan starkey go for a nap he got <laughs> He got five minutes into his nap and I had to wake him up and call him back in. Bless him. But he never, he never complains. Wow. That's awesome. That's incredible. But uh, when, uh, when I'm thinking about, uh, you know, the, the recording and things of that nature, what about uh, like the post-production? How was that uh, after all the recordings done? That's really like where you really got to get everything lined up and you have to be organized as well. Right. Yeah. So we go through a two stage process. So, it's dialogue editing first and sound design second. And I do it that way. It tends to be two different people because I've never yet met a sound designer who likes dialogue editing. And I've never met a dialogue editor who likes sound design. So Lance actually took the lead on dialogue editing and working with Kenton because the following week I had to jump into a audible pilot, which I was also doing a sitcom with a young writer called uh, Emma Tyndall. So Kent is also co-director. So it's like, fine. Okay. You, you take the lead on the dialogue edit. And they came back to me um, saying, yes, everything works. Everything tracks, everything scans. And both of those, both of those boys have been through me on like projects where it hasn't worked in the dialogue stage. So it was okay. And then we had, which was the exciting bit. This is where it kind of turned on its head a little they finished a dialogue edit and the sound designer changed from who we originally wanted to use to a gentleman called Rory O'Shea, who's based up in Canada. And he just turned around and said, okay, yeah. Do you, do you want this in Dolby Atmos? I'm Dolby. Like, wow. I was like, are you sure? And he went, yeah, it's fine. Cause if I do it in Dolby, then I can just mix down as opposed to you changing your mind later and me mixing up. Mm-hmm. So Rory said, look, we can do this in Dolby Atmos. And I went, I said words, uh, which my mother would not approve of. Um, and I had to learn about that very fast because it's very new technology um, for for audio drama. And it was like the final, th- it's the final thing I think I'd be looking for because we can actually call this an audio movie. If you listen to it, you could play this in a movie theatre and it would sound as good as a, wow. as a Nolan movie or, uh, you know, is that first mix came through and it had to be mixed down to what they call Dolby binaural. And I just cried. And wow. then it, it, it was like this final thing. Cause all since I would say this, when it's I did a series o'clock. called the Spring Hill Saga. So that's going back to 2008. And that's like coming out 2010. That took a long time to do because, you know, everything had been in terms of what audio drama had been released as was either in mono or stereo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we were pushing for these really, really deep stereo mixes that sounded fantastic. Dolby's the game changer. 
100% because when I listened to it, I went, this is the thing that now will make audio fiction stand apart from podcasting, stand apart from audio books, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it was just a case then of like all gloves were, all gloves were off. And that process, we went through five or six drafts at being meticulous. And you can start thinking now th- like more than three dimensionally. So if you listen to that Dolby Atmos mix, when the thunderstorm begins in the final scene, it is actually placed above your head. If you're, you know, having characters enter all the footsteps now can be mapped and you, you can change voice ambience depending where they are in a location. You know, are they behind a door? Is a door opening? And therefore, you know, if I do this, it changes my voice quality. As a, you know, um, you can add all those textures, and it's just so immersive. So many people. Um, I had uh, a chat with uh, a guy called Larry, who's the head of the uh, horror society of um, horror fan club of Kenya, right? Mm-hmm. And when he was talking about how he'd you know experienced it what he kept saying was yeah as i was seeing it as i was seeing it as i was seeing it and i went you didn't you listened to it because that's how powerful this this form of technology is it's actually tricking the human mind i mean this is why i say visualization is so important in audio that's what great audio drama does it triggers the imagination but this one seems to actually be pushing it into places where it's absolutely convinced that it's watched this as a film. Yeah, it's a new stratosphere. When you think about the technology from years ago, you know, when in the 40s and 50s, there'd be somebody mm. standing in the corner hitting something or, or for a sound effect and closing the door. And you hear that and it sounds, you know, like it did in the 40s and 50s. But this is like uh, this is like on steroids. And it's amazing how technology is just. You can literally go for a walk on your iPod or your iPhone and listen to a movie like you just said. It's fascinating. It's really, it's unbelievable. Someone, someone said to me when I was like sitting down doing the warm up before an interview, they said, it's like, it must have been like when I saw the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, when you first saw CGI dinosaurs. That was went, unbelievable. Yeah. And for someone to turn around and say, I've listened to London After Midnight. And it's like seeing the dinosaurs in, I mean, this is a completely unintended consequence of the path we took, but um, it's really flattering to think that this could be for a lot of people, their first experience of, you know, having the CGI equivalent of dinosaurs on audio. Yeah. It's that's bonkers. Incredible. Bonkers. That's yeah. You know, when you mentioned Jurassic Park, I, you, you talk about that with the dinosaur looking with the eye inside the car when they hmm. were, that that that's I did just envision me about visualizing, you know, if you had that on the audio. That's fascinating. What were are there some other gratifications from doing this? Because uh, I've heard the uh, I've heard the trailer and uh, I think there's a few previews on the uh, London After Midnight. And you are correct. It sounds absolutely spectacular. The, the sound and everything like that. I suppose the thing I'm most grateful for, and this it, it, it will sound like such a strange thing, but everything has gone right from start to finish. And that never happens. I mean, literally, I just came out of Moonbug and we were fight, you know, firefighting every single day. Um, but that, that's production, right? You know, produ- production is basically, uh, you've got to transport fire on a bike made of fire. Everything around you is on fire. There's no water right. available and you've got to get that fire, but not all the fire to the other end, right? Um, so, <laughs> um, literally from the start, the, 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 I, I, you know, I, I ignored the script for 24 hours. 
uh, when it first came in, because, you know, if that script was terrible, I'd feel bad for all the time wasted. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Then, you know, we put together a production list of who we wanted and virtually every actor said yes. Um, then, you know, we, we, we are, there was two studios we wanted to do it at and mm. one of them said yes. And it was my first time working with them, the sound house. And it's an iconic place. Mm-hmm. Um, then when we called the cast together, the one thing we all said, we, we, I don't use NDAs. I just say that, can you keep a secret? Because nobody knew we were doing London after midnight. We kept that very, very quiet. And we wanted to surprise people with it because it is lost. You know, just one day it wouldn't be there. And then the next day, the promise it's coming back. Everyone kept quiet. (laughs) Um, Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. And then, then Art came in and he was brilliant. And one, one hero of the production, I don't think I talk enough about, um, is David Bickerstaff, who switched roles mid recording because, because of the dropout of one actor and shuffling everyone around on day two. And he's just a one take wonder. Everything he was knocking out. Boom, boom, boom. Particularly, particularly the end. He's got a bit of a spoilery role. So we can't talk about the last 10, 15 minutes, but, um, yeah, and then the dialogue edit, everyone came back and said, dialogue edit's fine. Nothing's wrong. No damage. It's all good. Nothing's wrong. Brilliant. Everything's there. The coverage is there. Rory came in and he started delivering the sound designs. And he went, wow, we're going to go for, you know, I mean, and then again, someone I really don't talk about enough is Kenton then worked with uh, Brett Richardson on the score. And I didn't hear any of the music until they dropped that trailer you're talking about on our Bandcamp site. And I just went, this is some of the best scoring music I've ever heard. So literally start to finish. And then we got a publicist out of it. Who, uh, TBM Horror Marketing came on board and they're, they, you know, they're working with us right now. It, it was just like, I, I, everything fell sure. into place. Everything fell into place. And like, literally if the worst thing was we were just messed around for six weeks because we couldn't get an actor. Well, we got Art Malik and I'm not complaining. He's, we will be working again together, Art, if you ever listen to this. Um, but you know what I mean? It was just everything, everything, you know, I can't think touch wood of anything that has gone awry. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, that's that. That is just fascinating because uh, from beginning to end and now the, the, where can you where can you get the uh, London After Midnight uh, to listen to it? Because uh, from my listeners will want to get to that. Right, so if you want the full Lush Immersive version, you can get that from uh, londonaftermidnight.co.uk. That will redirect you to our Bandcamp page. There's also the physical media. There's collector's vinyl, only 301 of those CDs. People wanted those, so we made them, and they're almost sold out already, collector CDs. Um, also, as I said, Audioteria, which is a brand-new uh, audio drama app that's launched, is now carrying it. And that will also do the download version. But if you want to just stick to podcasts or streaming, then you'll have your choice between Fable and Folly as mm-hmm. of Halloween or the Apollo Plus network. So. Okay. Very good. Very good. So when, talk about the, uh, talk about the, the character, the, uh, scary looking character. Cause, uh, he, he is scary looking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The man in the beaver hats. Okay. So <laughs> let me be careful what I say because spoilers, but again, the context is when we begin the story, the uh, Balfour house, which is part of the larger estate, which is run by Sir James Hamlin, played by Dan Starkey, 
is falling into financial ruin. There's been a tragedy five years previously, which has mm-hmm. left its mark on a house. Then six months before the action uh, sort of picks up when the story begins, uh, another tragedy occurs. So this family is living in want and ruin and misery. When they get an offer for the joining house, Balfour Place, which has been abandoned for so many years to be rented out, at which point the new residents turn up and it is the man in a beaver hat with his companion, the Batgirl. <laughs> and this is the point where Sir James turns around and says, it's very possible the new residents may or may not be vampires. He calls for Scotland Yard, and that is where our uh, esteemed hero, Art Malik, Detective Edward Burke, turns up. And he is called in by the Yard to investigate the allegations of whether these residents are indeed vampires or not. And that's the start of the mystery. And that's what makes it great. Um, There was a lot of flack uh, thrown at London after midnight. It made a million dollars, but a lot of the critics turned around and said it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to think that's not the case because Kenton and Lance took the original script. Everyone who's heard this version, like at the minute we're certified hundred percent fresh. We haven't had one bad review. And I just think it's such a very cool idea that you start from the position. The mystery is, are they, or are they not vampires? And Mm -hmm. you still have, you still have an hour of the, the, the audio movie to go. And things escalate from there. But even the man in the beaver hat, very iconic, uh, you know, tall undertaker style hat, you know, very Paul back eyes <laughs> yeah. to make up actually wired the eyes wide open. Absolutely. You know, additional layers of latex on the face to sort of bring in this sort of ghoulish, uh, fixed smile. And, um, if you've ever seen the, um, famous, um, Photo uh, of uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss lifting oh, yeah. his arms with the bat wings underneath. Yeah, yeah, that's directly lifted from the man with the beaver hat because when he would lift his arms, really, those wings would fold out underneath. So that's what I'm talking about. It's it's an amazing piece of iconography that sort of spun in certain directions towards Babadook and Black Phone and Kiss, but also then the remake then sets up the kind of gentleman and vampire through the Bella Lugosi template. So this film, you know, birthed an awful lot of uh, horror iconography that's still very much with us today, 100 years later. That is fascinating. I can't believe it's going to be 100 years that film came out. That's in, what, in four years. That's amazing. So I always like to find out, like, where did you get your uh, inspiration or where did you get any films or any plays or anything of that nature uh, i think a lot of the time horrors kind of found me i am a horror fan um i love a genre but i'm sort of more eclectic you know I, I don't necessarily dive in and i could quote you all 10 jason movies for example but i will sit there and watch red letter media a lot about how they analyze horror particularly you know all those b and c list director you know, video nasties <laughs> as well. So it's, it, you know, that was part of my youth seeing those films, but in terms of audio horror is one of the most popular genres. It really is effective. And when you're out there looking for projects, you can guarantee 50% of what will come your way will be a horror piece. Hmm. So I'm just looking for the good ones. So that's things like circles, long night in Egypt, uh, smile it'll be over soon 
uh, was a great little find because the writer, uh, Noga was just looking for a director and she asked me, could I find one? And I said, let's have a look at the script. I was like, wow, this is really good. So, you know, you, you don't want to be going down the path of doing terrible horror, but going further back, it's, you know, I think Halloween's my favorite holiday. So, I mean, it should be a holiday. It should be a month. It should be a month of work. <laughs> um, so going further back, you know, looking into theater, you know, when I was associate director of a theater in South London, I was told you can write a play and put it on if you want. We actually did a blurring of reality and fiction, which was very unheard of back in those mm-hmm. days. Of course, now everyone does that. Um, but that was Night of the Hellhound Life. And that came from me growing up with things like Ghostwatch, which, you know, if your listeners don't know Ghostwatch, it was broadcast once on the BBC as a sort of Orson Welles style, uh, War of the Worlds fake live broadcast from a haunted house. It's, it's related to the, um, Enfield Poltergeist, which Blumhouse has spun off. Um, but Ghostwatch is absolutely terrifying and it was so frightening that even today at the BBC, you cannot mention it inside or outside. It can never ever be brought up again. It cannot never be rebroadcast. It is available on Blu-ray, but yeah, I mean, the, the way for me, horror projects that appeal to me are the ones that really push into the reality. Mm-hmm. Like Ghostwatch did, you couldn't tell what was true and not true. Or, I know this sounds weird, the other thing that absolutely terrifies me is the uh, is the alien home invasion film. So things like uh, Signs or Communion, where mm-hmm. it's very low-key and there's something alien in your house. Um, and one I've really rated, particularly the first act of it, was um, No One Will Save You. No One Can Save You. Uh, that's on Hulu or Disney Plus, depending on you. And that f- the first 30 minutes of that, I couldn't breathe. I was just like, really? I don't think we're going to get through this film. But thank God it, it changes its rules from the second act onwards. But, you know, then, uh, yeah, but then that, that means, like, you know, you write something like Night of the Hellhound for theatre and then you're offered Let the Right One In, you know, which came up, you know, a year and a half later. Um, so it's a weird cycle that I find horror projects I like. And then others, sort of like, it, maybe it's a bit of back and forth. I don't know. Um, it's a good question. You confuse me here. So <laughs> maybe maybe it's just a mix of I find the ones I like and I work on them. And as a result, that invites something to come back, you know, a year or so later. Interesting. Uh, yes. Yeah. I uh, my, The scary one, I uh, that movie that came out, Stephen King, the first one, it mm. that, that mm-hmm. scared the bejesus out of me, that first one. That was just... That was just like insane. I couldn't believe how scary that was. Um, was that a miniseries version with Tim Curry? Uh, no, the, the, no, it was the movie came out, I guess, about four or five okay. years ago. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. And then the second one was the first second one. The sequel was scary. But the first one, like the first hour of like, whoa, what's going on here? It was just yeah. amazing. I was going to say, but part two, you get Jessica Chastain. So, you know, dick. yeah. Uh, so I'm not complaining about that. <laughs> it was uh, it was crazy, but you know I was just looking on uh, you know Sirius XM has a Halloween ra- radio classic Halloween of the horror tales from the golden age of radio playing right oh, now. Oh, beautiful! And um, 
I listen to like the old ones and, you know, just not Halloween, but also ones. It's just, it's fascinating. I'll just listen to it in the car and it's like, it's pretty cool. You get to visualize what they do. And I like the, the old time sound effects and things like that. That's pretty oh, cool. They, they are the, they are the heritage in which we're all built. So, you know, like for me, I was always being played the um, Petrie wine sponsored Sherlock Holmes, CBS mysteries, you know, Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, you know, the, the film cut. And that was the thing. Movie stars thought nothing of transferring over to radio back then to do these beautiful radio plays in front of live audiences. And, you know, they were very high-end events, basically, you know, for people to gather around radio and enjoy together. And I love those. And then also you're looking at um, a bit further down the line, the British side, because radio tradition continued here, whereas it, you know, got disrupted in the US. Um, things like, uh, you know, the Orson Wells broadcast, certainly 1938 is a big one. That's War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, wow, yes. Yeah. But I'll bookend that with um, one of the formative experiences for me was the Jeff Wayne version. Have you ever heard that? The, I have not, no. It's a concept album. It's a musical. But my God, it can be terrifying. Um, and it, it tells the story of War of the Worlds just through prog rock. And it is stunning. Mm. So, excuse me. And at times, absolutely terrifying. The the music and the mood and evokes such terrifying imagery in your head. Dun, dun, dun. You know, so as you hear those notes, you know, war is coming. Um, and, you know, so there's there are those little things in my past, those little nuggets I can call back on and go, yeah, I remember listening to that because, or, you know, or I was played that, I was played clips of Journey into Space, which was the last BBC radio series to get more uh, higher listening figures than television. And that had moments of horror where they were trying to communicate with another spaceship, but the timings were wrong. Because it's like, no, no, that signal's come back too fast. So the, you see what I mean? It's like... Yeah using sound to tap it all out. And, um, and I, you know, recently I went to a live, uh, recreation of the Quatermass experiment, which is the BBC's first science fiction serial, which is lost. And they did it as a radio play. And it was so, again, so creepy and evocative. I think there's something so beautiful about all those old science fiction and all those whole old horror pieces, mm -hmm. which, you know, we could learn a lot from today still. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I also like listening to the, when they have the old, old commercials in between the uh, breaks there. <laughs> I love those about Paul Mollive and they had cigarette commercials and things like that. It's fascinating. Just listening to the, the, the announcers. Oh over my on the God. Side. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, with the Sherlock Holmes ones, it was always the conceit was someone had brought a bottle of wine to sit down and talk to, uh, talk to Dr. Watson about this case. He worked on with Sherlock Holmes. Just as it gets exciting, he goes, well, Dr. Watson, <laughs> let's just hold it here. I think if I'd, we're going to need another glass of Petri wine, the finest wine in California. <laughs> so, That's so funny. They just like slide that in there. <laughs> and they're so since, but the thing is, it was a very sincere model back then. You know, people understood it and it was done in front of, what I find really amazing is those things were done in front of a live stu studio yeah. audience, but they never laugh. It's not like a sitcom. You know right. what I mean? They're there to applaud at the start, applaud at the end. But they, they're made to sit there in silence. And nobody laughs when Petrie Wine interrupts to advertise the wine and stop the story. You know? 
Well, it's amazing. Like when those shows came out back in the 40s and 50s, like you said, people would sit around the radio. That was their entertainment mm. for the night. And then technology, I can go for a walk tomorrow, listen to London After Midnight. It's like it's incredible just how everything evolves with technology. And then you uh, this being produced and and take in Dolby. It's going to mm. be like you've gone to a movie. It's just it's it's tremendous. And now you can put a Dolby there's a Dolby Atmos mode in like almost every iPhone. Except my model doesn't have it, but you know what I mean. You can switch that mode on, and you know, I think I think the sky's the limit. I mean, one thing I've consistently been told by everyone who's listened to London After Midnight is two reasons: one is the script, and two is the sound mix, because both of those blow blow everyone away. And they come back and said, "I had to play it again straight away." So everyone has told me they've had to listen to it twice. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a there's a story reason for that spoilers and but I, you know they it, it's like they're sinking into that immersiveness of the world and they don't quite want to let it go and you can carry that in your pocket now it's stunning i think we're i think we're on the cusp of something really extraordinary now for audio fiction i'm going to get a copy of this so i have it on my phone i'm going to get this and i uh, recommend that folks get this as well my listeners and i am thoroughly uh, looking forward to it and jack bauman uh, I cannot thank you enough for spending my time pleasure. with me to come on my podcast. It's really been an honor, and I really enjoyed this. No, thank you for having me. I mean, honestly, like, you know, when people actually say they'd like to talk to me, I'm like, oh, me. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, it's fascinating because I just think everything, just like like I said earlier, I'm a radio geek, and I just like listening to audio, and I listen to uh, things, and I really do enjoy it. So I can't wait to uh, to get this and listen to it. And I hope you would come back on again if you have another project yeah. down the road. I would love to have you back on. Well, we, we signed a thing a couple of days ago. I can't say what it is yet, but there is a thing. The next okay. thing has been signed. So, um, yeah, I'm happy, happy to talk about, uh, happy to talk about that with you. All right. Well, thanks so much again. I want to thank Jack Bowman for joining me on Hodgepot and we'll see you next time. Next episode is episode 50. Thank you all for listening.